Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. We're starting part two of a three-week podcast series on the issue of volunteers in ministry leadership. Last week, we talked about some issues that cause leaders to be reluctant to use volunteers and some barriers that have to be overcome in order to use more volunteers in ministry. Uh, And we also followed up last week with some biblical and theological foundations for volunteers as uh, the primary means, frankly, of how ministry gets done. Uh, In a little while, I'm going to start on this podcast and talk about uh, one of the key aspects of using more volunteers, and that's the aspect of recruiting or enlisting volunteers for service. And then next week, I'll finish up the the three-week podcast series with uh, talking about motivating volunteers or how to sustain a volunteer movement over a longer period of time. Now, the uh, importance of this, as I said last week, it really comes out of my observation of how the perspective on who does ministry has changed and how volunteers are placed in ministry uh, over my lifetime of ministry service. When I first started out, churches had something called a nominating committee, which was responsible to uh, try to get everyone in the church involved in some meaningful way in some volunteer leadership responsibility or ministry responsibility throughout the church. And man, that is long gone. And uh, to our uh, discredit, I think we've moved away from that. And some large churches try some different models of how to solve this problem by actually employing someone to be a placement person for their volunteer ministries. But in the mid-sized and small church, I think we're really struggling with what it means to uh, re-engage volunteers in significant numbers to do ministry today. So I laid out some foundational issues last week. Today, I want to focus more on recruiting. But before I do that, let me tell you a story. Some years ago, I met a prominent pastor who had an attendance of about 2,000 at his church. And I was fascinated by their growth. He had been there at that point for about 30 years. He had grown the church from uh, just a handful of people, probably not more than 20, 25 when he arrived, uh, to be this 2,000 attendance powerhouse. Uh, The church had a fully orbed ministry, everything you can imagine, Uh, multiple choirs, youth ministries, children's ministries. Uh, It operated uh, multiple ministries in the community to meet human needs, share the gospel, uh, all kinds of projects and programs going on. Uh, It had a a missional footprint that was not only local but global. It, it, It really was a remarkable, remarkable church. So in learning about this church and learning about this pastor, I asked him one day to describe his staffing plan for me. And he said, oh, that's pretty simple. He said, uh, there's two pastors, myself and my full-time associate, and we have three uh, administrative assistants, uh, secretaries, as he called them back in that day. Uh, he said, uh, we have three full-time office assistants who support the work of uh, the two of us. And I said, okay, that, that's great. And what about the rest of your staff? And he said, well, that's it. I said, excuse me? You have a church with an attendance of 2,000, and you have two full-time pastors and three full-time office assistants, and that's your entire staff? He said, that's our staff. I said, well, that's amazing. How do you get this much work done? And he smiled and said, well... That's what's wrong with a lot of pastors today is they think you pay people to do ministry. He said in the Bible, the people do the work of the church. The pastors equip and guide, but the people do the work of the church. Now, we've operated from that conviction from the time our church was very small up until today. 
So if someone comes, comes to me and says, Pastor, we need a youth choir, I say, that's true, we do. Now, how can I depend on you to start that choir? And if they say, well, I, I don't want to do that, then I say, well, then you must not really want us to have a youth choir. You want someone else to do something that you see the need for, but you don't want to be personally invested. So we'll just wait until someone comes forward who really wants to lead in that area. And he said, what's happened over the years is uh, I have developed uh, hundreds of volunteers who are invested in various ministries of the church, and they have recruited dozens of other volunteers to work and support them. And one of our office responsibilities that we have is coordinating that effort and making sure that all this volunteerism uh, stays in some way coordinated and stays somehow invested in the whole of what we're trying to accomplish. Well, I found that to be an astounding story. And then the, that pastor eventually retired, and his associate became the pastor. And I wondered, well, what would happen with this younger man coming into leadership? And he said, or he did the very same thing. He called uh, an associate pastor to work with him, and they still have the same size office. And I was there recently, and their attendance is still well over 2,000. Uh, and they still have a very small staff, but a church, a powerhouse church that is, that is uh, uh, really sustained by volunteers. And because of this, they're not spending so much money on personnel. They have amazing money available for ministry. And so they take on some dramatic projects, and they're able to accomplish them because they're not paying people to do the work of the church. Well, your situation may not be able to adjust to that dramatic of a model. But I'm telling you, right here in Southern California, there's a church with about a 2,000 attendants that has uh, five full-time employees and uh, amazingly continuing in ministry over these decades because of a philosophy they had put into place a long time ago. When the church was small and the pastor was bivocational, uh, they put into this, this, this philosophy into place that was built on their biblical and theological understanding, the people do the work of the church. And because of that, they've built a powerhouse over the years. So you may not be there, but you can get on the process toward getting there by doing a better job of leading out in the volunteer ministry aspects of your church or ministry organization. Well, as I said uh, at the beginning of the podcast, uh, one of the skills for getting more volunteers into place is the skill of recruiting or enlisting volunteers. Now, that may sound contradictory. You may say, well, if a person is a volunteer, doesn't that imply they came forward by their own free will? No, it doesn't imply that at all. A volunteer means they serve by their own free will, and they serve without remuneration. It doesn't mean that they weren't asked by someone to take on the responsibility. You say, well, what about military recruiters? I mean, they don't go out, and yes, they do. Uh, they come to our campus every year multiple times, and they set up tables, and they engage people. They talk to people. They ask people if they've ever considered being a military chaplain. That's their recruiting responsibility. Now, they can't coerce, force, or demand that anyone take on that ministry responsibility. That has to be a volunteer, a volunteer choice, and we get that. But there's not anything wrong with putting the opportunity before people, recruiting them and enlisting them in appropriate ways uh, to get them involved as volunteers in ministry organizations. Now, a number of years ago, I came across a study that was done actually by a governmental, uh, a governmental uh, group that was studying the use of volunteers in uh, nonprofit organizations. And they said in that study that really uh, recruiting volunteers is more of a linkage process 
than any other, uh, than, which is the best way to describe it. In other words, you're not trying to recruit people by talking them into doing something. You're trying to recruit or enlist people by linking them to the opportunity. So this linkage process means um, linking a person with uh, an opportunity that uh, gives them a need for, uh, fulfills their need for personal growth, or linking a person with an opportunity uh, for learning and development, or linking a person with an opportunity to be creative, are linking a person to an opportunity to serve in such a way that their mission in life or their purpose in life is fulfilled in a greater way. So if you want to think about recruiting uh, as browbeating, demanding, cajoling, trying to talk people into something, well, that is not what we're getting at here today. Uh, I want you to think of recruiting instead as a linkage process where you're trying to link up potential workers with opportunities and you're discerning enough to know what aspect of that potential worker's uh, experience needs to link up with what different aspect of your ministry's opportunity so that fulfillment really does happen. Now, uh, recruitment by Christian leaders is unique in that we're trying to help people to grow spiritually by the process of serving in the opportunity that we're giving them. Now, this growth is twofold. Of course, first of all, we're challenging people to grow in their personal devotion to Jesus. We're challenging people to inner growth, if you want to say it that way. So that when we ask people to take on a volunteer responsibility, we're doing so in such a way to stretch them. We're giving them an opportunity to pray more, to trust God in new ways. We're giving them an opportunity to develop new spiritual disciplines, like, for example, how to serve with humility, how to deal with people without anger. You're giving people an opportunity for personal growth, for inner growth. You're also giving people an opportunity for what we might call outer growth, or I would say professional growth in contrast to personal growth, but sometimes people lump, lump professional in with paid, and so that sort of clouds that use of that terminology. But what you're trying to do is give people the opportunity to grow outwardly in terms of in their ministry opportunities and in uh, expressing themselves in who they are and in making a difference in the life of some other person or making a difference in the life of some organization so that the outward expression of their growth shows up in the lives of others. This is actually a component of discipleship. So recruiting or enlisting, this linkage process I'm describing, whereby you take volunteers or potential volunteers and match them up with opportunity for the purpose of personal and professional or inner or outer growth is a part of making, helping them become more dis, uh, better disciples of Jesus Christ because you're giving the opportunity for personal, devotion, for personal devotional growth where they grow in prayer and faith and the capacity to serve and know God, but you're also giving them opportunity for outward growth or for growth in the impact they have on others by serving others, making a difference in their lives, advancing the cause that's uh, someone else's cause besides their own, and of course, ultimately, serving God in the process. Now, uh, getting down now into some more detail, uh, I want to talk about sort of a, a, a seven-step process, if you will, of how leaders can uh, go through this recruiting our enlistment process in local church contexts. Now, you can apply this in ministry organizations as well, but most of you are working in churches, and I want to focus it on church context this, uh, uh, this time. So the first step is to determine the ratio of volunteer workers you need to accomplish the ministry that you foresee. Most leaders don't think this way. Most leaders think, well, I just need more. Well, how many more? Set a goal. Develop an organizational chart. 
lay it out and say, this many people to do this much work. You know, this is one of my wife's uh, great strengths in working with preschool uh, ministries. She lays out a preschool ministry and says, if we're going to have this many classes and this many children and this much impact, we're going to need this many teachers, this many assistant teachers, this many uh, security workers, this many greeters. Uh, we're going to need this many people to develop curriculum or to produce and support the development of the activities that go on in the classrooms. We're going to need this person to manage the resource closet. I mean, my wife has this volunteer chart that she's worked out that really lays out all that's really needed to staff a fully functional preschool. In fact, my wife, when we left First Baptist San Francisco a number of years ago, the church attendance at that time was about 400, and my wife had 68 volunteers working in her preschool ministry, serving uh, weekly or monthly, but 68 volunteers trained, placed, and used in her ministry there out of 400 people that were, mem- that were uh, attendants of the church. Now, uh, you say, wow, you, you work it out in that kind of detail? Yes, you do. And you say, but I'll never be able to find that many people. Well, you'll never find that many people, I will assure you, unless you have a plan that motivates you to go after filling those slots with competent people. You say, well, yeah, but if I create that kind of plan, then I'm putting pressure on myself just to get warm bodies into spots. No, you're not doing that at all. You're creating a plan that says this is who we need, this is the kind of people we need, this is the number of people we need, now let's go systematically look for them, and as we find them, we'll place them, and we'll build our organization as best we can with qualified people as we find them. So I'm not saying that by creating this uh, ratio or, uh, of leaders that you need to the ministry you want to perform is auto- an automatic guarantee that you're going to fill that chart uh, you know, rapidly, but you'll definitely not fill it if you don't have it. And so that's step one. Now, the, the second thing to do is, is to calculate the ministry that you believe you can accomplish going forward in the future and where you want the organization to go. So the first thing we're going to do is create the organization that we have and staff it with the volunteers we need and create a chart or a plan for doing that. Then we want to say, now, where do we want to go next two, three, four years? What does this need to look like and how does this need to develop? And that gives us another kind of volunteers that we're going to need to look for, more of a long-term view. Okay, uh, a third thing that I want you to do is to uh, figure the, is to, is to estimate or to look at the kind of growth that you're going to have in your ministry and see what kind of volunteer staff you're going to need for that. So we're going to analyze our needs and create this initial chart. We're going to secondarily look forward and to what it's going to look like in the future. But then third, we want to get even down to more specific and say, what kind of staffing do we need to, to uh, relate to this kind of growth that we anticipate? Now, as you start pulling this information together, it's going to give you a roadmap, if you will, of the kind of leadership development that you need. Now, that, that leadership development is the process of putting into place actions that contribute to you gaining more leaders along the way. Now, I'm kind of lost track with my steps here. I think I'm down to about number four or five, but the next step is this. Uh, you then develop a way to Uh, investigate the potential volunteers you have and see how they can best serve in your organization. Now, this can be done uh, informally by relationship building and talking with people and listening to the needs or listening to the appraisals of others, and, and that's helpful. But in our world today, there are so many resources available that you can do this much more ob- uh, objectively, and that is through spiritual gift testing and through other ways to discover the spiritual gifts of people in your ministry setting. 
Um, now, uh, there's a lot of tools out there to do this. They're available online. You can also purchase different c companies that sponsor these spiritual gift inventories, that kind of thing. Um, you, you, you look at these, but you need to look at them in the context of how your church understands spiritual gifts. And because every church understands them a little differently, you need to find a, a testing model that really fits into the, the best practices and the best understanding you have of this issue. So we're going to start out by uh, laying out the organization. We're gonna, then we're going to look at the kind of leaders we're going to need going forward and build a chart of what that might look like. We're going to project out into the future the kind of leaders that we'll also need to add in order to keep expanding the organization. And then we start moving toward this process of actually enlisting or recruiting, and we're going to start doing that by using some kind of testing mechanisms, spiritual gift inventories particularly, to discover the gifting that the potential volunteers in our ministry setting or our church have. Now, uh, there's a couple of other programs that are out there that I've used in the past. One's called Shape, and that comes out of the Rick Warren material. There's another one called Place, which uh, my friend Jay McSwain developed over the years. If you're not familiar with Place or Shape, uh, you can look these up online, and you can see that these are uh, testing mechanisms by which you not only discern people's spiritual gifts, but a lot of other things about them to help you understand where they can best be located in ministry organizations. Now, um, you can also investigate some other sources for these volunteers and to diagnose or understand uh, what you have in terms of potential volunteers. For example, one place to look is in new member orientation classes. Uh, to do some basic surveying in those classes of what are your skills, what are your gifts, what are your interests, uh, where have you served in church in the past? If you're a new Christian, where do you think you'd like to serve in church in the future? What most interests you about our church? What ministries are most important to you at this particular time? What kind of time availability do you have to invest in ministry as a volunteer? These are the kinds of survey questions you can ask in a new member class to help you to begin uh, or to build or enlarge this pool of people from which you're going to recruit. Another way to do this is to systematically look through the membership role of your church. Now, I'm amazed at how few pastors do this, but I regularly, as a pastor, got the entire membership role out and went through that role name by name, uh, asking myself the question, how is this person engaged with our church? Where are they in terms of their spiritual development? What kind of volunteer responsibility could they take on that would push them forward in their spiritual development, both personally and, quote, professionally, or both uh, inwardly and outwardly? What would move these people along? Because basically, some of you are saying, yeah, but these are nominal Christians. They have very little commitment. They're on the membership roll, but they don't do much. Exactly. So start where they are. Don't lament the fact that you don't have more small group leaders. Find a way to get this this person who's very, very nominally involved, involved in a nominal responsibility where they're taking on something that will force them to start to grow a little bit. You can move them from that point then forward. So when I talk about systematically looking through your membership role, I'm talking about determining the level of readiness of every person on your role for some kind of volunteer responsibility and finding ways to move them forward uh, in that role. Um, Another uh, aspect of this is to develop some kind of ongoing system to keep this happening in your church. Now, this may sound overly complicated, uh, but it, it can be, now get this, it can be a volunteer responsibility to keep up with all the volunteer information. You know, there are people in our churches that are very gifted administratively, and yet 
they don't really find a place to serve because they're not really gifted with people. They're not really gifted in teaching. Uh, they're gifted with information management. And these wonderfully, <laughs> let me say it, nerdy people who sometimes just like to crunch numbers and look at spreadsheets and produce facts, these are the very kind of people that you're looking for to put in charge of managing a database, if you will, or a file of some kind of all this volunteer information. And so look for a volunteer who can do this for you and help as you develop your systems to get that done. Well, we've talked about developing gifts and about understanding patterns of, of involvement and about helping people to see what they can do and how they can do it. But beyond that, remember, you're not only looking at their spiritual gifts, you're looking at other ways uh, to evaluate how they could be involved or invested in your church. Like, for example, you're looking at not only their spiritual gifts, but you're looking at their professional abilities or capabilities. You're looking at their like interests. You're looking at their established relationships. You're looking at the, uh, the, the, the functions or distributed functions of the church and how they might uh, interface with the uh, functionalities of a, of a particular member. And, and sometimes these things match up one for one, and sometimes they don't. For example, um, I, I once worked with a public school teacher who was extremely good at teaching. Uh, but when she came to church on Sunday, she said, you know, I'm in the classroom all week, every week. And I understand that I have teaching gifts, but I'd really like to find a way to do something else uh, at church. And I said, okay, uh, you teach children all the time at church, or at, at school. And she said, yeah, I've got... Uh, you know, either second or third graders, uh, you know, I've rotated back and forth. But yeah, I've got a whole classroom of children year by year, and I'm, I'm a little tired of that. When I come on Sunday, I just can't do that. And I said, I understand that. So I said, would you be willing to coach our adults who teach with children? Become their teacher, become their coach, become their guide, to observe them and give them pointers and help them understand how to do better. She said, I would love that. And so I developed her into a preschool ministries uh, director, ultimately, but we started her out as a preschool ministries coach, helping our preschool teachers and then our children's teachers also to uh, develop their teaching abilities. And that was a great outlet for her. And so sometimes shared interests don't line up, you know, just exactly. People want to do something different uh, in their in church ministry, but it is something that's still in the context of their interests are there. Uh, abilities. So uh, that's six or seven different things on a list that will help you to understand more about the recruiting process. But now I want to talk about the last thing, and that is the actual recruiting moment. Now, in the world in which we live today, there's so much technology available that it's easy to think, well, I'll just email the person that I would like to serve as a volunteer, or I'll just call them. Well, let me encourage you. If this volunteer responsibility is consequential at all, do the enlistment or the recruiting in a personal visit. Yes. Ask if you can come to their home. Ask if they'll meet you for coffee or for lunch. Ask if you can sit down with them in your office. Ask for a personal moment to talk with them about the responsibility and the opportunity that you're laying before them. And when you do that, here's some things to remember to make it a really good recruiting event or a recruiting moment. Number one, set a time to talk with the person when you'll have privacy and adequate time. Expect it to be a dialogue where they'll ask questions and you'll be able to give good responses. 
Make sure that you do it in a context that's conducive to this happening. That doesn't mean the church parking lot where people are filing by and saying hi to you or to the other person and interrupting your conversation. This means a time when the two of you can sit down and really talk about what you're asking them to do. Second, before you go, pray. And while you're there, pray with the person about the responsibility you're talking to them about. Because this is more than just signing them up for something. This is asking them to consider if God wants them to be involved in ministry in a new way. Third, present the challenge of the position and the opportunity it has to make a difference in the ministry that you're trying to accomplish. Don't just say something like, well, we really need somebody to fill in here, or you know, this is just something that's got to be done. No, lay out a compelling reason why this volunteer responsibility is important to the ongoing mission of your church and the ongoing work of what, that you're trying to accomplish. Then number four, prepare and present uh, a job description or a written statement of what you're actually asking the person to do. Now, this is <clears throat> something that kind of leads us into next week, but I'll just mention it here. One of the mistakes that people often make with volunteers is thinking, well, they're just volunteers, we can't ask for much when the opposite is actually true. If you'll lay out a clear job description, and I'm talking about writing out a paragraph here, or just four or five bullet points, that says this is what we're asking you to do, and this is the specific commitment we need you to make, you will have a much higher level of success, and the person will follow through much more effectively than you just giving some kind of nebulous thing of, well, we need somebody to watch the kids on Sunday. Would you be willing to do that for us? No, that's not a recruitment or enlistment uh, presentation. You want to present, here's what we need you to do, and here's exactly what we're asking of you. Now, this may surprise some of you, but when I was with the Northwest Baptist Convention and we had 10 or 12 volunteers working on staff, I mentioned this last week, every one of those volunteers had a written job description. Every volunteer had a supervisor, in many cases a paid employee, uh, that, where they worked on their team. They got an annual review, just like the paid people did, and they got some reward for their service. Now, they weren't getting paid, but we found other ways to reward them, and I'll talk about that next week. See, this is counterintuitive. People usually think, oh, if a person's a volunteer, we can't really ask much, or we can't really demand much, or we can't really explain to them exactly what we want. And that is exactly the opposite. When you lay out clearly what you're asking a person to do, it raises in their mind the stature of what they're being asked to do, and it raises the level of commitment even in the conversation at the beginning of their, of their consideration of commitment, and it changes the entire dynamic. For many of, many of you know that for years I worked with an organization called Baseball Chapel. They provide chaplains for over 300 uh, professional baseball teams in North America at all levels, major leagues and minor leagues. All of those chaplains are volunteers. You say, well, how do they get people to do that? Because they have a very good process of recruiting, which they set aside time to talk with you, they pray for you and with you, and they lay out the challenge, and they give you a specific job description. In fact, beyond that, they give you a manual of uh, instructions of how you're to do your job. And every year I worked for the organization, every single year I worked for them for 10 years, they dismissed chaplains for not following through on the responsibility they've been given. And because the ministry took the role seriously, we took the role seriously, even though we were volunteers. Now, number five, when you meet with the person, be realistic about the job and what you're asking them to do. 
Some volunteer positions are pretty demanding, and you need to lay that out. Others, not so much. Make sure that's understood as well. And you may lay something out and realize that this is way more than one person can do. And even in doing that, you may have a dialogue about how to make some adjustments so that a person can take on even part of the responsibility you're asking. And as number six, as a part of this, you need to describe the training that's available to the person if they take on the responsibility. Now that training can be something as simple as, I'll meet with you a couple of times and help you understand what we want you to do. Or it could be, you'll have someone who's in the classroom with you who'll train you on how to teach this class. Or, well, you'll join the parking lot team and when you're on that team, you'll have a mentor who'll show you the ropes and teach you how to do what needs to be done out there. But in the initial visit, lay out for them the kind of training they're gonna receive. Then, number seven, ask the person to give some consideration before giving an immediate answer. And you say, well, what if they're ready to answer? Can't I just close the deal? Well, of course you can. But even in those contexts, it's sometimes better to say, I appreciate your eagerness. I want you to think about it for a couple of days and pray about it and make sure that you're really willing to commit to this before you give me a final answer. Then number um, eight, uh, set a date to make a final answer, like I just said, in a day or two or a week or whatever. Uh, And then Follow up with them, number nine, and return to talk with them to get the final answer. Now, these last steps can be sort of blended together. Uh, But again, I want to encourage you to not just go there with the idea of just getting any kind of commitment that you can so that you can be sure you've got their name on the dotted line. No, it's better to say, give it a day or two, pray about it, think about it. Then let's get back together or let's get together on the phone for the follow-up or let's some way way get, uh, get a final decision and then let's start the process of putting you into place if that's what you really want to do. So... Remember, set a time to talk with the person, pray for them before and during the meeting, uh, present the challenge, lay out the job description, be realistic and help them understand what they really can and can't do, describe the training that's involved, get them to pray about it for a day or a week to give you a final answer, and then uh, give them a day or a deadline of when you're going to ask that for that answer in a, in a week or a day or whatever, and then meet with them, follow up with them, and finalize the situation. And if they say no... Uh, don't take that as an indication they don't want to be involved at all. Say, hey, I appreciate your honesty about this position. Uh, Would you be open to some other opportunities if I came back and talked with you about something that was less time intensive or more in your wheelhouse of your gifts and your abilities and see what they say about that. But if they say yes, then follow through with the training and placement that you've recruited them for the job you've recruited them to do. Well, recruiting volunteers. Uh, It's an important part of what we do. Uh, Hopefully this podcast will lay out for you uh, a vision for doing that with this church I described earlier with some tools or some steps to help you understand how to create uh, a template, if you will, of the kind of volunteerism uh, and volunteers you need in your church organization. And then uh, when you've done that and you're ready to do that personal recruiting visit, I've given you some steps to walk through to make sure you do that well. Look, this is time-intensive work but it's going to take you a whole lot more time if you don't do it. This is an investment of energy that pays off in the long run as we build an army, a cadre, a movement of volunteers to help us get the work done. We've got to do this in order to lead on.